0: Well, hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at your fundraising events. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer, and I'm joined here today, once again, at the world headquarters of Winspire in sunny Southern California by my co hosts, Ian Loth from Winspire and Renee Zao from Donation Match. And today, we're going all the way down to the music capital of the world, Austin, Texas, to talk to the cowboy auctioneer. His name is Heath Hale. I was absolutely blown away with this interview, man. You know, I've been a fundraising auctioneer now for, I don't know, like 40 years. I learned a ton in this particular podcast. You're going to love it.
1: Yeah, Heath has a great story uh, coming up being a, you know, auctioneer family his whole life. His dad was a livestock auctioneer and he himself was in the corporate auctioneer world forever. And then he made the transition just a few years ago uh, into the, you know, event fundraising space. And he has just had a tremendous amount of ex- success and some really, really good tangible advice that you can use as you uh, go ahead and plan your next fundraising event. Yeah, and we all know it's really important to prioritize expenses and things that you can get the best ROI out of. And he gives us a lot of really tangible advice about and and case studies of his own about what he's seen work best and what you can spend on and what you should spend on um, and what you know you really
0: shouldn't and to find out why you should stop thinking like a charity and start thinking like a business let's talk right now with Heath Hale well today we go all the way down to Austin Texas to talk to one of the top fundraising auctioneers in North America uh, his name is Heath Hale now tell me that doesn't sound like a country music star but uh, I don't know what kind of singer he is but uh, sure a great auctioneer Heath how are you doing
2: I'm awesome, Danny. It's beautiful weather down here, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. So I'm doing fantastic.
0: Well, good. Tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, before we have you tell us a bit about yourself, I got to ask, have you ever met George Strait? I have met George Strait. He's one guy I haven't met
2: yet. Let, let, let me tell you this. I met yeah. George Strait. My cousin is a world champion calf roper, and when I was 15 years old, I, I had the gift of gab. I've never been speechless in my entire life until he introduced me to the five foot three George Strait, who I was looking down on and thought to myself, "Oh my God, that's George Strait!" And that's the end of the the end of the story. I couldn't say a word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I had I had known known that you're a cowboy and you're from Austin. I've been down there several times, and I've, you may or may not know I'm based up in Canada, but I grew up on a cattle ranch, a little town called Tomahawk up in Alberta there and for oh about 24 years now I've been MCing Canada's largest outdoor country music festival and we've had just about every major country star come through that festival except George Strait. He we can't get him up there. So put a word in for me the next time you see him, will you?
2: I don't know that I can say a word next time I see him. <laughs> I've never <laughs> been speeches before. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, bud. Well, let's get let's get started. Let's get down to business here. Today, of course, uh, we want to talk about fundraising, specifically fundraising auctions. Uh, give us a little bit of your background in this, uh, in this field.
2: Well, it all started, uh, my father is a auctioneer. I'm, I'm really third generation in the auctions. Um, I was going to auctions as an infant with my great-grandpa uh, buying cattle in Gatesville, Texas and uh, my dad has, has been an auctioneer since he was a teenager so i grew up in a in a family of really well known texas auctioneers i think uh, my dad two or three uncles two or three cousins me and my brother it's kind of the the family trade on my dad's side and so uh lifelong really uh going to the auctions i was helping dad put together equipment sales and doing the check in and doing some ringman work and some auctioneering as a kid and then, uh, really, I paid for my college by working auto auctions. Um, for 13 years, I worked four, five, six auction auto auctions a week. And then, um, in 2009, uh, I had a local... You know, we'd always done a little charity auction for the local church and local high school and, you know, selling grandma's pies and signed footballs or whatever. But in 2009, a, a charity here in Austin called Sammy's House asked me, um, I don't know how they found me, but they asked if I'd come to the auction. And that night we uh, were supposed to raise $27,000 to help 27 kids, and we raised $62,000. And I was just on cloud nine, Danny. I had no clue that the gala existed. And whenever I found the gala room and, and then was exposed to people wanting to pay more for auction items than they're actually worth because they're wanting to help somebody else, as opposed to paying less for something than it's worth to help themselves, it was a whole new it was a whole new environment environment for me, and I fell in love with it immediately. And um, I did not try to have a charity auction business at all. I was in the corporate auction world, running a a pretty large auto auction company. Thought I was doing important business stuff, and since two thousand nine, it's really just kind of snowballed. And a few phone calls here and there has turned into um, in 2015, I left the corporate auction world, went full-time with a consulting and charity auction business, and uh, we, we raised $9.3 million at 39 events in 2016, and I think we're going to hit the $15 million mark in 2017.
0: Those are remarkable numbers. Heath, as you know, a lot of nonprofits don't realize that there is a big difference in auctioneers and you've already touched on auto auctioneers livestock auctioneers but they don't appreciate the value that a dedicated charity auctioneer brings to an event and what are some of the things that you see set auctioneers apart that specialize in this space and again a lot of nonprofits don't realize how large the the fundraising or benefit auction space is i know uh, the last time i heard numbers i think it was over 17 billion dollars a year is raised through charity auctions so uh, if you're an event planner, what are some of the differences that they need to understand when they're selecting an auctioneer?
2: You know, that's a great question, Danny. I had a conversation this past Saturday night with a lady that is in charge of a large fundraiser, and she said, we've done it every way. We've hired a auctioneer that's not a benefit specialist. We've hired a volunteer that has been real good at talking on the radio and making jokes, but is not an auctioneer. And then we've hired a bad auctioneer. And we've also hired a great auctioneer that specializes in benefit auctions. And she said our numbers quadrupled. Actually, the year that they used the charity auctioneer, the specialist, they did what the last three years combined had done. And so um, I think that, first off, there's a lot of good auctioneers out there. But, you know, working in all different industries, my approach is different at every auction. And so. Whenever I'm going to show up or an auctioneer is going to show up to a car auction or cattle auction or an equipment sale, there's there's not a ton of investment in there. Yeah, you want to know what you're selling, but hey, as long as you can auctioneer, the bidders are the ones that are educated already. They're like professionals at buying and selling, and they've done their homework. And so It's pretty easy to get up there and count numbers, but when you're walking into a charity room, you're dealing with folks of the public that maybe go to one or two auctions a year. They're not real educated before they get there on what the items are. They're there to help the cause. And so to me, what's so important about a charity auctioneer is understanding the messaging, understanding what the cause is, being able to speak the brand, being able to speak the mission, and then also being able to communicate to the audience why they should bid on this item and why they should help the organization. So to me, a charity auctioneer has to be a lot more well-rounded really in communicating throughout the entire mission as opposed to just selling the item that's, that's in front of you. And I think that a lot of organizations are finally learning that. My first few years, um, it didn't really matter. As long as you could auctioneer, they thought that's what was right. But Danny, you know as well as I do, a charity auctioneer should be an auction partner and spend time with the organization before the event and understand what to expect You know who the audience is going in. You know very well what the packages are, who the big donors are. You know who is going to buy something and who donated that package. You know where the board president is sitting. You understand what the seating chart is capable of. You want to put the lights and the sound at the right levels. And whenever you really concentrate on all that, as opposed to just showing up and being an auctioneer, you know it it pays off exponentially. You really can't put a value on that.
0: Great points. I have a question that we put to our clients all the time. As you know, I'm a fundraising auctioneer as well, and we use a very simple example that if you've sold an item in the live auction, and let's say it sells for $5,000, and your second high bidder, the person who was not successful in buying that item, had their hand up at $4,900, so we've only got the one buyer gets the package at five grand. What happens to that other $4,900 and what are some of the techniques or strategies that you might recommend to your clients in the nonprofit space as to how they can go about capturing that $4,900 that was not spent yet? Somebody had their hand up in the air just a moment ago saying, I'm willing to give your organization $4,900. This is where we see the shortcoming in some of the auctioneers that don't specialize in in fundraising auctions, they miss that extra money. What are some of the techniques and strategies that you
2: use to go after that? No doubt. So a couple of things. First, whenever I'm working with the organization uh, pre-event, I ask them if each one of their donors that are giving packages, if they could ask them, hey, if there's a bidding war, is there an opportunity that we could double sell this and raise twice as much money for our organization? And sometimes, this past Saturday night, we sold a package to Canada four times uh, because the donor said that if it brings the eight thousand dollars, then I'll sell as many as you want to. So I first off ask them if they can double that, and then I would either get the donor up another hundred and sell it times two at five thousand, or if that's not willing to happen, then I'll save the top donor a hundred dollars and sell it times two at forty nine hundred. If a double is not available, then a I have. The what I think are the best ringmen in the entire industry that are going to remember that person in their bid, and they're going to be making sure that that forty nine hundred dollars comes on the next package. But when you roll into the fund to need or the paddles up, as we call it in Texas, um, if that forty nine hundred dollars hasn't been spent, I think that that's the perfect opportunity to for the ringman to go to that backup bidder and say, "Hey, I didn't know you. I know you didn't get that auction package." But this is where it really counts. If you can give what you were going to give in that auction, we're going to hit our goal tonight. So, A, you try to double the package, or you go back to them in the fund to need. Because let's face it, maybe they wanted the trip, but at the same time, they're there to donate. So we're going to make sure that we do not leave that money on the table.
1: All great points, Heath. What, uh, you know... Being a provider of the you know travel packages. Hold it. Oh, First ahead. of all, I've Sorry. got to say this is Ian Loth speaking
0: now. So if this is not an intelligent question, it's not coming from me. All right, go <laughs>
1: ahead, Ian. Thank you, Danny, for that. Uh, this is Ian uh, from Windspire. Uh, you know, we have auctioneers who are, are selling travel packages out there, consignment travel packages. What are some strategies that you use that you've seen, including the doubling up, um, you know, to, to really connect those packages with the audience?
2: You know, Ian, I I work with the organization really to find out what their resources are. And so I think first and foremost, um, we like creative packages. And if there's somebody that's chairing the auction and they can put together creative packages and they have big resources, um, then, you know, let's find out what those are and they can put together a package that's really unique and valuable to them and their audience. At the same time, they're... There are packages out there. So I like to have two or three big packages at the auction. And a lot of times those aren't able to be procured by the organization, especially if it's a new organization, or maybe the development director's in charge of the auction and doesn't have as much of a resource to get, you know, vacation homes and tell your ride with private planes and all that. And so I will go to Winspire and talk to Winspire about, hey, we've got this group coming up. Here's our capacity. Uh, we've got two or three people in the room that can spend ten to $12,000 or whatever that number may be. Let's put together a few packages based on their capacity. And so we know that every time that we sell a uh, windspire package, A, we don't have to pay the consignment fee until after the money's collected post-auction, but then B, we can sell that package two or three or four times, the package that we sold four times uh, this past Saturday night was a Winspire consigned package. It was the Fairmont Chateau Lake Louise. And I think there's a consignment cost of $2,995 with airfare and four nights to the Fairmont. It brought $8,500 and we sold it four times. And so the organization brought in uh, $34,000 on that package and it only cost them 12000 to do so. So netting you know $22,000 was a huge win and one of their
1: most successful packages of the night. That's great. Uh, it's congratulations. Well done. Um, you know, we we're big proponents of going out and procuring items. You know, we want the nonprofits to go procure items themselves. And you've talked before with me about the importance of, and you've mentioned it here already a couple of times, but the importance of thinking big, right, locally in your area. Uh, and you've shared some stories with me before about people have come to you with maybe, hey, we have tickets to the local ballpark. You know, tell me, tell me what you would usually then recommend to the nonprofit uh, as far as turning that into a better item.
2: So, like I said a minute ago, I really would like the lead of your auction to be a person of resource. Um, Whenever it's a staff member or a development director, not that they don't have the resource, but let's face it. They're picking the color of the tablecloths, the size of the flower arrangement, making sure the food tastes good. They're trying to fill seats, sell sponsorships, book entertainment, and so I really love for there to be an outside source, a volunteer type position that is chairing that auction. And whenever I get to work with a person that can have a high level resource conversation, um, the the instance you just brought up was, I have a client that they have a live auction chair uh, from Houston and she's really involved with the Houston Astros. And so whenever she said, hey, I can put together a Houston Astros package, What if we get tickets to a game and do dinner before? I said, that's great, but we're trying to raise $100,000 on seven items. And so each item has to bring over $10,000. And I don't think four tickets to the game with dinner is going to do that. I think that'll go in our silent auction. But do you have access to any of the players? She said, well, yeah, my husband golfs with Jeff Bagwell. Roger Clemens lives down the road from us. And I said, okay, now we've got something. Let's put together two packages with ex-Astros. Let's put together batting practice with Roger Clemens. Let's get him. We just need him for three hours. And let's make it for 20 people, whether it's kids or whether it's adults. It can be a business deal or a kid's birthday party. But let's do a margarita machine and catered barbecue and Roger Clemens on a local baseball field throwing batting practice to 20 people and make it an experience that you cannot buy. It's priceless. We put it together. We also put golf with Jeff Bagwell together, and Roger Clemens shows up to the event. And now you have a celebrity involved, and people are that much more excited. They're taking pictures with him. They're getting autographs. We sell batting practice with Roger Clemens for thirty-two thousand, and we double it. And we get sixty-four thousand on one package. Well, the live auction goal was a hundred grand, so that was just a huge step for them. We would have sold four tickets and dinner to the Astros for. we raised $60,000 more than we would have just by going big, thinking outside the box and you really want to put an exclusive priceless experience. Let's face it, your live auction is marketing to the top tier of spenders in the room. You're going to have a paddles up and you're going to have a raffle and you're going to have a silent auction and all of these things. That if someone came to spend $100 or $500 or even $5,000, you're gonna be able to cover those top two or bottom two tiers of spenders. But that top tier of spenders, the ones that really have the big capacity to spend, we need to put some items that are gonna create really exclusive VIP experiences. You put that in front of folks where money is not an issue, then. Not only are they willing to make a big donation to the charity, but they're going to buy themselves a priceless experience, and that's how you start selling items for $30,000, 50000 $100,000 whenever it's something that you can't just log online and buy.
0: Heath, you've just done a masterful job of demonstrating the difference in mindset between a professional benefit or charity auctioneer and a livestock auctioneer because people need to understand you get your local cattle auctioneer to come in and and do your charity auction. This guy or this gal are used to selling 1,000-pound steers, and there's not a lot of uh, wiggle room on that. There's not a lot of ways you can dress that one up.
2: Absolutely, Danny. So it really matters – to understand, you know, a benefit auctioneer, someone that wants to partner with you, is going to learn about that top tier of spenders. So one of the very first questions that I have when I'm prospecting a new client is, who are the top tier of spenders? I don't need to know what their names are. I want to know what their capacity is. And so once I learn a live auction goal, and then I learn what the capacity of the spenders are, now we can really customize packages to feed my, here's my one liner let's feed the top tier of spenders and if we can feed that top tier of spenders they'd much rather much rather give you $50,000 for a bucket list experience than give you $5 or $10,000 for something that they're not going to use
0: exactly heath we want to talk to you here about the cash appeal or the fund a need fund an item or as you call it down in texas Paddles up, all right, Oz. Awesome. Let's uh, let's talk about this for a moment. Now, how do you go about setting setting up your your fund and item or your fund and need your paddles up? How do you set it up? What are what are the key elements that need to be in place in order to make this part of the evening successful? Because organizations that are not doing fund and item or fund and need need to be incorporating that in their event because there's an enormous opportunity here.
2: No doubt, Danny. You know, it really surprises me. When an organization has never tried the fund-to-need. And And then I heard a comment the other day of a lady that said their fund-to-need has just never really been successful. And I've got to tell you, I don't think we've ever done a fund-to-need that's not successful because of a few key things. Uh, To me, the most important aspect of the fund-to-need is the messaging. You know, If someone walks up to you on a street corner and says, hey, will you buy this box of cookies? Well, I don't really buy cookies from people on a street corner. But if they give you the messaging that if you buy this box of cookies because it's going to help this family who just lost their home in a fire this weekend, I'll probably buy 10 boxes of cookies. So that's a very simplistic example of this organization needs to educate people on what they're doing and the impact that they've made. This is leading up to the fund funding need. I want before the funding, probably before dinner, so it can be a discussion topic uh, for the next hour, um, what the organization is there for, what is their mission, educate them. We've impacted a 1,000 lives this year. How many people have you impacted? How have you been good stewards of the money that was raised last year? And then what are you going to do going forward this year? Why do you need to raise more money and then make a call to action? I love either a very passionate well-known through the crowd speaker or a video i think videos it's it's hard for a video to screw up if you can make a good video pre-event so i want the messaging there and let's let's face it danny you know this you can have good messaging and sell a bottle of water for thousands of dollars you can have no messaging and sell a trip to cabo for not enough money and so i think it all starts with the messaging you have to get the mood right i'm Big proponent on the timing. Um, I personally always recommend that the fund and need goes after the live auction. And so I think if the messaging has taken place before or during dinner, and then one more tidbit of messaging, a two or three minute snapshot of a call to action, what your money is going to create, the opportunities and the impact that it's going to have. Now we have a live auction. We just live auction, get through it 30 minutes quickly. And when we're saying sold $10,000, sold $10,000, that's exciting. And then now you dim the lights, you change the mood, you maybe inject one more piece of messaging, depending on how long you have on your timeline. And then you just pull the heartstrings. And when you pull the heartstrings and then you have a benefit auctioneer on stage that understands the organization, understands the messaging, and really knows how to speak to the audience on... This is what $5,000 is going to create. This is what $1,000 is going to create. Everyone in the room, if you raise your paddle for $100, you're going to be able to help five kids get textbooks for $100. Then I think people look at it as, man, $100, that's no big deal. And I'm going to help five kids. You've got to know the messaging. You've got to do it at the right time. And then... You ask for everybody to get involved. And so I think if you give them the messaging, you ask at the right time, and then you really ask for everyone to get involved, there's no way to me that a fund of need should fail.
0: Excellent. Excellent information. So now, how do you conduct your fund of need? Do you start with the high ask first and come down in increments, or how do you set yours up?
2: You know That's pretty traditional, and and I have found that's what works best. I'm always very open-minded to new uh, new strategies and will try it at least once. And so we've done it where you start low. We've done it where you do the fun and eat in the middle of the auction, different kinds of ways. But what I have found works best is you start off at the high level. And if the organization, a lot of times, they they really ask for my advice, hey, Heath, what level should we start on? We want to ask for 10000 but we don't know if anyone in the room can give that. And so I asked them to see their fund and need levels from last year. If they have those, i like to know how many people gave at each level. If they only had one person give at 5,000 and then it was more people at each level after that, then I tell them, yes, maybe we'll ask for the 10,000, but leave that up to me during the event and let me see what happens in the live auction. And so to your example earlier, If I sell an auction package, like this past weekend, we sold an auction item uh, for an excursion to Africa for $15,000. The backup bidder had not purchased an auction item whenever uh, the auction had ended, and so Paddles Up was going to start at $5,000, but I had that in my back pocket, and I said, I want to know who wants to start this Paddles Up. I'm going to step out on a ledge. Who wants to start the Paddles Up at more than $5,000? And that backup bidder that did not get Africa bought raised their paddle and said that they wanted to do a donation of $10,000. And so I think that that right there goes to show that the auctioneer has to be very aware of what's going on in the room. But yes, start at the higher level and go all the way down. These days with mobile bidding, if you're going to have that involved, I don't like it. I, I don't recommend that the bidding is done only on the phone. I love the true interaction and the energy that's created whenever people are raising their paddles, especially if you have tables of 10 and there's five or six people at a table with their paddles raised, and now uh, the other three or four people at the table feel like they need to raise their paddles, and as an auctioneer, you know, hey, this whole table almost has all of its paddles up. Well, all of a sudden, all those paddles come up, and now you're doing table challenges and saying, hey, table seven has all 10 up. Table 12 has all 10 up, and now you've got tables that are really going against each other. So I love the interaction. I love starting high. And Danny, I also love (coughs) letting the organization really feel comfortable in that first level that we're going to ask for. Most of the time, they want to ask for 10, but they're scared to. And so I tell them, let's get slides for our paddles up. Do a slide for each level, and in big, bold letters you put the number that we're going to ask for, each increment, and then maybe a picture of a kid or your logo or the school that you're trying to build or whatever that may be. Give them a little vision and give them the number. So if you want to start at 10000 but you feel like it's risky, then make your first slide 5000 And whenever I fill that live auction out and we're going into this to need, I'm going to step up there and say, guys and gals, we wanted to start asking for $5,000 a night, but I'm a big advocate of you don't get what you don't ask for so i'm personally going out on a limb here and now i've alleviated the organization from kind of looking silly i'm going to put the pressure on myself and i'm going to say i think it's in here who in the room wants to give ten thousand dollars and danny i know you've done it a thousand times the paddle almost always comes up and uh, we actually had an event two weekends ago they wanted to start asking for five uh, but we had such an electric live auction. we sold a puppy dog for fifty five fifty five thousand dollars. We sold a puppy dog for fifty five thousand dollars that night. The money was insane, and so I actually went out there and said, "Guys and gals, we were gonna ask for five thousand, but I know there's more money out here. Who can do more than five thousand? We had a guy started at twenty five We had three more people follow. And each did twenty five thousand and then a man stood up and said i 'm going to match that one hundred thousand and we raised two hundred thousand dollars in the paddles up before we even asked for five thousand dollars. I think the organization was very comfortable going in knowing that the only thing that was printed on their PowerPoint was five thousand, but that we had the ability to ask for more and I think that 's what sets a good benefit auctioneer apart from others is having the knowledge of what happened during the auction, having the whereabouts to step out on a limb, and not just sticking to the piece of paper that's put in front of you, but really filling out the crowd and really focusing and honing in on the excitement whenever you have the opportunity.
0: And our listeners need to understand this this is the big difference between a benefit or charity auctioneer and a, and a livestock auctioneer or an auto auctioneer. Other types of auctioneers aren't used to asking for, they don't have these funded needs or funded. It's foreign. It's, and I've never sold livestock. I've never sold automobiles, but I'd be dead if I had to step into that space because I just don't understand that world. Just as those types of auctioneers don't understand, Heath, what, what you and I do. So very important. Let's talk for a second. Uh, one of the first bits of advice that we give to our clients when they call is you need to stop thinking like a charity. You need to start thinking like a business.
2: Absolutely. You know, that's what they're trying to do is, is raise money. And so if you think like a charity, here's here's the deal, Danny. Businesses make money by investing in the right practices, investing in the right people, and investing um, in the right space. And so whenever I've really seen this evolve over the past 10 years in the in the nonprofit world, It seems like events and and organizations for their gala, silent auction, live auction, raffle, they were just taking what they could get. And we had baskets of gift cards and baskets of just kind of junk that no one wanted to buy, and then you didn't have someone there qualified to sell it. But if a charity will put a business cap on and invest in the game day returns invest in what's going to bring back exponentially more money than the investment, then that's when they really win. And I've seen that happen over the past several years where a charity will take a step up and invest in a little better venue. And now they have an extra 100, 200 people in the room. They'll invest in a little bit of entertainment and that will bring people. But whenever they invest in a good benefit auctioneer, all of a sudden now, you go from a B fundraiser to an A fundraiser because you've got a partner that's going to show up and understand how to raise money, how to talk mission, how to pull heartstrings, how to do a fund to need how to double-sell a live auction package. You know, a car auctioneer doesn't ever double-sell a car. A cattle auctioneer doesn't ever do a fund to need When you bring in and you invest in a true benefit auctioneer, they're going to take your fundraising to the next level because they are experienced raising money no matter the size or shape of your event or the size or the shape or the capacity of your audience. We've been in all situations, and whenever the crowd's a little dead, we know how to get them livened up. A lot of other auction industries, whenever the audience is dead, you get through it as quick as you can, or you just say, no sell, it takes more. No sell, it takes more. Sorry, guys, takes more. You can't do that at the charity auction. Everything that comes up for auction, you've got to sell it, and the worst thing you can do is leave money on the table. And I think that's what the best investment that an organization can make is invest in an auction partner that really knows how to raise the money and work the audience. Heath, we want to ask you, how important is goal setting? To me, it's the most important thing. And you know, it's extremely important to set goals, and here's why. You've got to know what you're up against. And... I really like to grow events year over year over year, and that's exactly why the board is there too. The board is focused on growing this event, and so A, if your board hasn't put goals in place, then I think the auction committee should put goals in place and present them to the board. If you're not working off of a goal, then you're not really sure what you want to get, and if you're not sure what you want to get, then you're not sure what you need to have in place, and so... The very first question I ask an organization that I'm prospecting is, how much money did your live auction raise over the last three years? And what is your goal to raise for this year? And then I want to know the same thing for the entire event net. What did your event net over the past three years? What is your goal to net for this year? And whenever they have those numbers organized, it tells me a lot right from the start that they're goal oriented and that they understand what their focus is. And now it's pretty easy to jump into a conversation with them about how to reach those goals. If they don't have those goals set in place, then you generally find that those events are a little less organized and you've got to get them organized or it's not necessarily a desirable event for the audience to attend.
1: That's great. And this is, uh, this is Ian here. From Winspire, and I kind of want to loop back uh, in terms of reaching that goal and making the investments necessary to reach that goal. uh, You know, what are some things that a that you recommend investing in? What are the most important things to invest in? And then, what are some things that you can maybe save on uh, in terms of uh, you know saving some expenses?
2: So, I have a lot of conversations with event attendees um, before events after events and you know everyone loves (coughs) excuse me everyone loves the event that's really fun and exciting and the energy's up and it's beautiful in the room and it feels good and that's all fine and dandy but I think that you have to do that um, efficiently because as a donor and we we donate to most the organizations we work with you really don't want to see them spending their money in on items or things that don't give a return. And so I'm a big advocate of, yes, flowers are beautiful and especially when the ladies show up, they like to see beautiful flowers. But I think a lot of ladies that participate in the fund to need, you know, let's just say at the $500 level, if you've got a $500 or a $100 bouquet of flowers sitting on your table, It's always in the back of their mind that, man, my first hundred bucks is going to pay for these flowers. And so I'm not telling you to not have flowers, but I think that you should be very very frugal with that. Um, I've been recommending, instead of having flowers as your centerpiece, I think you could have an educational centerpiece, or a centerpiece that fits with your theme, or a centerpiece that was made by your organization. An example for that is we have an event coming up with Susan G. Komen here in Austin, And instead of doing flowers for their centerpieces, they're doing Jenga blocks. And each Jenga block, and they're going to get the Jenga blocks for $10. And each Jenga block is going to have a breast cancer statistic on it. And so the event attendees, while they're eating dinner, instead of looking at beautiful flowers, they're going to be reading statistics that are going to really shock them about how many people in our community were affected this past year with breast cancer. And so I think that that also covers, you know, Fancy tablecloths and fancy chairs. I mean, I've seen events spend $40,000 on clear chairs, so there can be a light illuminated throughout the room. And on one hand, maybe that's a great investment because that light that was illuminated throughout the room got people in a great energy and atmosphere that made them spend more. But at the same time, it really felt like that was way too much money to spend on chairs. I think a lot of times the entertainment is the biggest piece of the budget for an event, And that's great because it gets people to show up. But I think a lot of times events could cut their entertainment budget in half and still get a great band, a great entertainer, that's going to give people just as much fun. And let's face it, if people are only showing up to your event to see the music, they're probably not going to give as much. And so I've I've seen events go from a $40,000 entertainment budget to a $20,000 entertainment budget. Book somebody that's still great. And you know we're very blessed here in Austin, Texas. We call it the live music capital of the world. So we can get a ton of bands in the ten dollars to $20,000 range. But a $10,000 band in Austin, Texas is almost as good as a $40,000 band. And now you've got $30,000 to invest in what's going to bring a return the day of. I feel like your lighting is important but don't go too overboard. Something that you don't want to save on, you don't want to save on the sound system. The The quality of the sound is so important, A, so the attendees can hear your messaging. When you turn that video on, you need to be able to turn it up where everybody hears every piece in there and their heartstrings can be pulled. When your MC comes out to welcome folks, they need to be able to focus on what he's saying Instead of not being able to hear if the crowd can't hear the crowd never gets tuned in the crowd never hears the messaging and then the auctioneer is just fighting against the audience and fighting against bad sound so don't save money on the sound don't save money on the alcohol people have a good time they spend more money and they tend to really get more relaxed and loose and just have a better night whenever um, they're they're having some cocktails. And then I definitely don't think you should save money on the auctioneer. Um, we had an event recently where the uh, the band was one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and it was on a big stage. But on a Thursday night, one hundred and forty thousand dollars for a children's hospital. I think that they could have saved a hundred thousand dollars and had just as successful of a party. Well, their live auction goal was a hundred grand, but they didn't sell tickets. They the band obviously was not very popular in the crowd. Thank goodness. We had a 250k live auction, and it ended up paying for that band. But it made me sick to know that almost half of what we did in the live auction went to pay in the band that didn't even sell tickets. So you can cut budget on fancy items like flowers, tablecloth, entertainment, lighting, and food. Not everyone has to have a filet mignon. People at a fundraiser understand when they're eating chicken. Don't save money on a sound system, on booze, or on the auctioneer. Make sure that people can hear you, make sure they're having fun with some cocktails, and make sure that your qualified benefit auctioneer is an investment that's going to come in and exponentially raise more than you've paid for him.
0: Well, it is pretty hard, if not impossible, to measure the return on investment of things like your band, that type of entertainment. What our listeners need to remember as well, too, if you're hiring an excellent professional fundraising auctioneer, that alone is going to be a huge part of the entertainment component at your event because a qualified, excellent fundraising auctioneer is going to entertain the audience, engage the audience, and most importantly, be able to extract funds from that audience, which your band, no matter who the band is, is not going to be able to do. Let's talk for a second about underwriters and finding people out there that will underwrite the cost of things like your table centerpieces.
2: Yeah, so I think that that's a great resource for an organization to have. A lot of them have strict guidelines against it, and I work with organizations that can't get stuff underwritten, but if you can do it, then I think that's a great place for you to either get an extra sponsor, let's create an entertainment sponsor, let's create a live auction sponsor, and if you don't have in your budget space for a live auctioneer, then let's get it sponsored. If you don't have in your budget space to invest in a couple of Winspire packages where you're gonna be able to sell items for 10 and $15,000, then let's create a live auction sponsor and get a highly qualified professional fundraising auctioneer to sell your packages that are not just the packages that have been donated to you, that you're gonna say sold $900, sold $1,200. That's not exciting. Let's get an underwriter, underwrite a highly qualified professional fundraising auctioneer and let's underwrite a few packages that if we sell them then the $3,000 cost brought in four times the return. We can sell that package for $12,000 and we can double it. Great question, Danny.
0: Heath, I have clients that
2: say we don't want to
0: use consignment packages at all because we just don't want to pay the reserve cost. Talk to that for just a second and, and how you recommend consignment because we know it's, it's a win-win situation. Uh, how do you recommend
2: consignment packages to your clients? Whenever we're getting within 45 days of the event, and I see that there are some holes, when I see that their items don't align with their goals, that's whenever I really start to recommend the consignment piece. Obviously, if the charity can go keep 100%, then let them go do it. But normally, that's not the case. Normally, those type of resources aren't there. So what I do is, within 45 days of the event, I line up the packages that they have so far with their goal, and I find out what the holes are. If they don't have a trip to the mountains, then I, I know Windspire has a hundred of those. If they don't have a trip to the beach, if they don't have a trip, maybe they're a very artsy crowd, and they want to go. They maybe they're a very artsy crowd, and they need to be at a uh, music or an award ceremony. Maybe they're a very outdoorsy or sports-oriented crowd and you could put together something for golf or the Kentucky Derby or the Chicago Cubs or the Super Bowl. Maybe they're a traveling crowd and you want to put something international together. I mean, we've sold the Windspire Machu Picchu package for $30,000 multiple times. An organization that does not want to invest in those has a big uphill to climb, but Danny, I will normally recommend to them, look, we've never once offered one of these packages and haven't sold it. If you think that there's a chance of that happening, that's okay. A good charity auctioneer will fade the heat on that, and it will not be awkward at all. But that's not going to happen. So let's look at your current items that you have lined up. Let's look at your goals. Find out what the voids are. Okay? You don't have a package to the ocean. Let's go on to Windspire and search beach. You have Costa Rica pop-up. You have Cabo pop-up. You have San Diego pop-up. You have... Bali pop-up, and you put together a few packages for them, you recommend them, and then say, based on your audience, which one or two of these do you think will work the best? And then you know if they've got some $30,000 people in the room, they may use the package to Bali. If they think that they have some $7,000, $8,000 people in the room, then they're probably going to use the $3,500 package to Los Sueños, Costa Rica. So whenever you put those packages in front of them, now a good benefit auctioneer needs to put those in a space in the auction lineup where it makes sense to double. You don't want to start your auction with a double on the first two or three packages. Now the audience isn't going to trust you on package number 4. So let's build up momentum, momentum, momentum and then about item number 6 or 7 or 8 put a couple of those doubles in there and that's really going to create some fireworks for the end of the auction. So I look at the timeline or I look at the packages 45 days out. I find out what the holes are. I recommend now the best consignment packages for their audience and to fill the gaps in their live auction. And then Winspire is great at putting together photos and a PowerPoint and just sending you literally within an hour the resources that you need to put together your marketing piece before your event.
1: All great stuff, Heath. Um, last question here uh, we're getting st- A little short on time. Tell me a little bit about, because you have uh, spoken so highly about your ringmen uh, that you use for cowboy auctioneers. What uh, what are some recommendations you might have for nonprofits out there or who might be hiring a benefit auctioneer um, about the importance of those and and how they can go about finding them?
2: So I definitely think the thing that sets my team apart, um, one of the main things is a ringman. Um, I call them the cowboys. And there's a lot of auctioneers out there that use volunteer bid spotters. And then there's a lot of auctioneers out there that have their team and their go-to guys. And every day that they book an event, every time, they make sure immediately that those two or three guys are available. I think it is so crucial to the success of the auction for several reasons. I had an organization ask me the other day, Hey, Heath, in order to save some money for our budget can we have the the uh, fire department be your bid spotters and i asked them whenever someone calls 911 to put out a fire do you want to send the auctioneer and they kind of laughed and thought <laughs> okay good point professional ringmen or professional bid spotters they know what to do in the moment and it's kind of like you know a volunteer yes, it's fun for them to go work the auction. If they want to stand on the outskirts of the room and help look for some of those bids on the outskirts, I'm always open-minded to that. But let's face it, whenever the auction starts and that pace picks up and people are bidding and somebody has a question and you're turning circles taking bids here and there and there's paddles up everywhere and you're in charge of when I say sold, you're writing the numbers down and you're shaking the hand and you're getting the the runner over to the table and then you're helping someone with the next item and you're taking a bid behind you and to your left and in your front. A volunteer is not going to be able to handle the pressure of that moment and they're going to leave money on the table. Yes, they might see some paddles go up, but they're not going to create bids. They're not going to remember the person that was the backup bidder at 4900 and then go back to them on the next package because they know that that money was left on the table. They're not going to go back to them and say, hey, I know you didn't get that package to Whistler, but can you go ahead and do us a big favor and the paddle's up and start at the $5,000 mark? I know you've got it in you. Those ringmen are qualified, just like your benefit auctioneer. And if you're going to hire a professional fundraising auctioneer, I highly recommend that they have professional fundraising ringmen and those guys and gals really know how to go and create excitement, there's all, the auction's all about the momentum and the excitement. Those guys are going to hoop and holler. They're going to put on a show, and they're not going to get lost in the moment. And that's what's going to be most important to maximizing the fundraising, whereas volunteers are going to get lost and leave money on the table. And that is the worst thing that can happen is leaving money on the table.
0: It's good to remember as well, Heath, and I know you and I talk about this all the time, but every auction, live auction, ultimately comes down to those two final bidders. And really I know you've done the same as I have. We've worked rooms up to eight hundred thousand people with maybe only two professional ringmen. You like to have more, but if you're if you can only have two professionals, this means when we get down to those final two betters we 've got an auctioneer because most of the time these ring men are also professional or ring women are professional auctioneers you 've got an auctioneer working with each of those two final bidders, plus the main auctioneer up on the stage and there 's no question they 're going to they 're going to pay the pay for themselves
2: no doubt I mean what I tell the client is um, whenever I quote them for the ring men, I tell them that everyone is an investment, and for each one you hire they 're going to bring ten times that investment, and most of the time it 's on the first couple packages and Danny, what you just said is perfect. Think about when you have to double an item. If you've got the Fairmont Chateau Lake Louise, and you know that you can sell this Windspire package four, five, even six times, and you have volunteers out there, it's not going to happen. But when you have those professional ringmen and auctioneers on the floor that can grab that guest and say, hey, I know you were at $8,000, but if you'll give me another $500, we can sell you the same package. They lock it up 99% of the time. And that's how we sold four of those Windspire packages for $8,500 each this weekend. With volunteers, we would have sold the package one time.
0: Well, Heath, this has been a great conversation. Our special guest today, Heath Hale from Austin, Texas, the music capital of the world. And Heath continued good selling. If people need to get a hold of you, we'll have that information in our show notes. Uh, do you travel?
2: We do travel. We um, just look up cowboyauctioneer.com. com. We have five teams. We have four teams here in Texas, and we have a franchise in Las Vegas that covers the West Coast. Um, we're doing auctions in Denver, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and all over Texas, and looking to book our first couple for the year on the East Coast as well. So we're open to going anywhere. And um, you know, one thing I got to say, this is our passion. Our passion is raising money in a live auction format. And our favorite thing to do is really to take an organization, learn about their goals, and then help them exceed those goals year over year over year. To me, there's nothing better in the world that I could be doing.
0: Let me ask you one final question Have you ever not exceeded a goal?
2: No, sir. Every time we find the goal, you know, I have to, the day after the event, I have to be able to look my clients in the eyes the next day and let them know. We have never not exceeded a goal. And so every auction we've ever done at a gala, we hold the live auction record, and we have never not exceeded the goal. So give us a call, tell us what your goals are, and then I will help you line it up to where we make sure and exceed those goals.
0: All the way from Austin, Texas, Heath Hale. Good talking to you, my friend.
2: Thank you very much, Danny. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Ian.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time.